Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man mean you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent family, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. Transforming truth truth to power. One broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And good evening to all of you out there at Our Common Ground. This is the sanctuary on this July 9th as we come into the program. Our hearts are heavy. We are mostly in prayer for the grief and grieving that we suffered in the wake of great violence, brutality, sadness, and awareness, once again, that we are a country that is troubled. We are a country that we have to ask ourselves in many spaces and spheres and on many dimensions, just who are we? I am very sad, and my job tonight is to help us find some solace, to help us find and identify the inner strength, to help us look at 
the places that are broken and begin the repair. Thank you so much for being with us. For those of you who are listening on your devices, you can come to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG and join those who have gathered in our chat room as we face the challenges of today. I do want to say I'm very um, disappointed, but there's something going on here at Blog Talk Radio, and none of my audio files uploaded properly. They've been processing since about 2 o'clock this afternoon, and I suppose that that is not going to be cured. And at one of these breaks, I hope that we'll be able to have we will uh, be able to um, provide for you some of the very important, um, very important historical and news events uh, that uh, we had prepared for you. And we're going to take a small break and I'm going to try to figure out while we're in break how we can um, try and fix this matter. Um, uh, I don't know what has occurred. I do know that there was a problem this morning at Blog Talk Radio, a technical problem, and I hate to start a show... um, with um, this kind of matter. But um, we do want to try and figure this out. So we're going to go out on a break starting out. And uh, when we come back, we will be um, either there or not there. Tonight at Our Common Ground, We are talking Black Lives Matter, talking to our children and ourselves. And in our second hour, we are going to be talking about the execution of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile by police under the cover of law and the Dallas aftermath and some lingering questions that have come with this event. Our guest tonight in assisting us in bringing to you and raising the appropriate questions is an our common ground voice. Those are the people who have been with us before and helped to inform and enlighten on these types of issues. She is Dr. Marion Duchess Harris, an African-American academic, author, and legal studies. She is a, a professor and chair of American Studies at McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, specializing in black feminism, U.S. law, and African-American political movements. Her book, when she was last with us, was not even published, Black Feminist Politics from Kennedy to Obama, but we have discussed it um, often here at Our Common Ground, and Tonight, she is with us because of a most recent text, 
Black Lives Matter, which she co-authored with Sue Bradford Edwards, and as a result, she was the 2015 recipient of the Minnesota Association of Black Law Black Lawyers Profile Encourage Award. We're so pleased to have our sister, our soror, and this scholar warrior with us. Duchess Harris, thank you so very much for being with us. Good evening, Janice. Thank you so much for having me, Soror. I'm so glad to have you back with us and to try to hold us up tonight. This was really interesting because we decided to do this long before these events of the past uh, week, and um, it's so appropriate. Let's start off, Duchess, by talking about the whole matter of why it is why black lives matter the hashtag and the movement has become so central in all of this well a lot of people don't even know when this hashtag and movement began and it actually began 4 years ago this month so in July 2012 when George Zimmerman was acquitted for murdering Trayvon Martin, there was outrage. And um, Alicia Garza um, and Patricia Colors and Opal Tometi um, started a hashtag on Twitter um, that just said Black Lives Matter. And so it would open up with, you know, something that had happened and then Black Lives Matter. And that continued on until Ferguson which was 2014, and that is really when you get a movement and people travel to Ferguson and people try to take to the streets because of what happened to Michael Brown. Okay. Uh, I first remember Black Lives Matters, and it's two years since Ferguson. <clears throat> But there was something about the soul of this cry that Black Lives Matter that grabbed the spirit of black people in this country. I suspect that it might have been our discomfort with our own agency as a citizen, with the history. I think that we have been stunned prior to Ferguson that our little brother, Trayvon Martin, was murdered and there was no accountability. There was, there was, even the court did not work for us. So when we were witnessing Darren Wilson shooting down another young brother, we felt we needed to be steeled. And was it Black Lives, the hashtag, the, the mounting movement in your, uh, in your estimation? I think it was a culmination of things. I mean, one of the things that is painful that we must consider is that Black Lives Matter did not happen during the Bush administration. Black Lives Matter happened in the Obama 
administration. And I've argued before, and I will continue to argue, and the data supports this from the Southern Poverty Law Center, that the anti-Obama sentiment has produced more racial hate crimes than we have had in an extremely long time. And so it has become a rallying cry for our humanity. Mhm, mhm, mhm. And and in the sense that, um, how how is that? Well, and I mean, how do Black we Lives it? Matter is 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 so different than Black Power. It's amazing to me the resistance to Black Lives Matter because all people are trying to say is that we should not be gunned down in the street, but. Um, there was a sense from a lot of Americans that we were beyond this, and that's a part of the pushback. Uh-huh, and that's the whole post-racial delusion. Exactly, and, and, and post-racial came out of the fact that clearly we have overcome the president is black. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you did a lot of studying and research uh, as you wrote this book, and I know that you were struggling to try to find a way in which we could explain. How how do you explain under the banner, under the, the, the spirit of under to children that Black Lives Matter when they have witnessed uh, Mike Brown, and I do want to mention that um, since M- Mike Brown's um, murder, our children have really paid attention to what is happening and our own response. So what was it in your objective for this book, Black Lives Matter, that you wanted to relay to children? Well, one of the things I wanted to relay was where the shame should rest. And so when Michael Brown happened, there was the sense from a certain portion of America that he was to blame, that if he hadn't been, you know, purchasing loose cigarettes, if he hadn't resisted, um, that it was essentially all his fault. And so, um, you know, and then once once you put that narrative out there, then when there's resistance, if you are a young child and you see that on whatever device you're looking at, it's easy to say, why are those black people angry? And so if the image is that the black people are angry and the message is that the, that the police are enforcing the law and the black people have been bad, Think of how children internalize that. Uh-huh. And so that was the objective of the book, to try to convey um, a different perspective to um, how this was unfolding out in mainstream media. So when you when you were putting the book together, Did you talk to 
uh, caretakers of children, teachers, social workers, foster parents, parents? You know, we actually did not. I was able to bring my own perspective to that because I have mm-hmm. three children. Um, what my co-author Three wonderful I, children, by the way. <laughs> thank you And they're getting so much. big, I can't believe that it. That <laughs> means a lot to me. Um, you know, my co-author and I wanted to just lay out a three-year time period. I mean, that's the other thing that I think is unique about this book. We really only go from 2012 to 2015, and, of course, we provide a historical context. But we'd gone to print before Sandra Bland even happened. And so the the purpose of the series of the book was these are things that you see on, I'll say, television. Kids are watching other things, right? But these are mm-hmm. things that you see that might be disturbing. This is an explanation of what it can mean. That's basically it. But, I mean, it it has had an impact that I underestimated. And and how is that? Well, I mean, I did not think that there would be such a need for the book. And so it comes out of Abdo Publishing, which is here in Minnesota. And um, I met with the owners of Abdo, and they shared with me that in their 30-year history of being a publishing company, this book has sold more copies than any book that they have put out, and the book's only been out since October. Wow. But there was there was a great deal of right-wing pushback on this book, too. Am I right? Oh, I mean, that was the first, the first press about the book. So the, the story is that um, last August, Minnesota Public Television invited me on to talk about my forthcoming book. Um, They were very gracious and just asked me to outline what the book was about. I had a seven-minute clip. It was on a Friday night. By Sunday night, Larry Elder on Fox News essentially, (laughs) exactly, exactly, essentially accused Sue and I of indoctrinating white school children. Now, what's amazing about this is that he could not have possibly read the book. The book hadn't even gone to the galleys. So this is August, and the book wasn't even supposed to come out until January because that storm happened, and then I actually shared an electronic copy of the book with um, someone from the Minnesota Post, who then read it, who was the only person who read it and then reviewed it and said it was remarkable, then that put this back and forth about what is the meaning of this book. And so then the company was able to have it come out a few months early. And tell us, because, you know, obviously – we are adults, and it's we can spin and synthesize and kind of understand what is before us. And this is horrific in my mind, Duchess. This is absolutely – I don't think that I have had to reach, and I've been – Broadcasting our common ground for 33 years today, talking to oh, every wow. 
black scholar, every black author, every black idea, notion. Uh, I've been through all of the events, but I don't think I have been as stunned as what I watched when I watched Alton Sterling be executed. And I was trying to find my way out of it. Uh, I happened to have been online when the news broke, and I, I really had to struggle. And all of the people that are listening to us tonight, they are struggling. And one of the reasons that I think you are so important and your book is so important, because I tell you, I'm at a loss of words when trying to talk to the young people in my life about this. We we had one young man in our family on Friday who got his driver's license. And I tell you, there was a family conference that said, uh-uh, he got away. Yeah. Can, should he drive by himself? Yes. That's, I mean, that's, he, that's a question that has meaning for our community that does not have the same meaning in other communities. And I hope that there's more national understanding of that now. Mm-hmm. Like, I have found more white people who have been able to acknowledge that raising white children is different from raising black children. Mhm. I hear you. I hear you. I I you know, and and then here's another piece of it. The piece of it that is also as stunning is that this police officer shot into a car with a child sitting behind the victim. And that wasn't enough. That wasn't a deterrent. How I mean, vile. exactly. And, and that is how we return to Black Lives Matter. That four-year-old black child did not have a life that would have been considered the same as a white life. That is fundamentally what the problem is. I mean, I need some data that indicates that there are um, altercations where police shoot into cars where there would be a four-year-old white toddler. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm pressed to find that. I mean, you can have Dylan Roof go into um, a church and shoot up nine people and live to tell about it. You can have someone scale the fence of the White House and live to tell about it. But you can be driving in Falcon Heights, which is nine miles from where I live, and someone will not only shoot you in the back, they will do it with a four-year-old right next to you. And this is shameless, shamelessly done. Let's. I'm going to ask you to put on your legal scholar hat. Can you explain 
under the banner of Black Lives Matter, to the people who are listening to us tonight, how in hell do these cases get past the judicial system without indictments, sometimes without charges? Who are these prosecutors and who are these judges? And do I mean, they understand? Yeah, I mean, I think this is an excellent question because this is what happens with reasonable doubt and reasonable fear, reasonable fear. And this takes us to the fear of black men in America. That is always the argument, and it is quite often a win. So if we take it back to Trayvon Martin, um, it just so happened that summer – It was a lighter summer than usual for me, so I was able to watch the trial. And when I saw George Zimmerman's attorney make the argument, I knew that they were going to win because what he did was um, address a jury that was 12 women, 11 were white, one was Latina. They were all from the area, and the area had had some break-ins. And what the lawyer said was, if you had seen a black man in a hoodie walking down the street, wouldn't you have been afraid to? That's all he needed to do. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so you had these women who were thinking, I would have been scared. Why wouldn't George Zimmerman be scared? You know, he has the right to defend himself. He's defending himself in fear. We have reasonable fear, and there you have acquittal. It's not that complicated. Well, it it just seems that it's not that complicated for people who understand uh, race in America. Right, like, I mean, I want to be clear and say it's not that complicated to convince people to be afraid of black men. That's what's not complicated. That's actually very simple in this country. So much to the point where I'm sure you saw that um, the Bahamas has put out a statement saying that they are concerned. A a travel advisory. Mm -hmm. And so the whole world is watching, and the whole world knows that Americans are terrified of black men. And so if you are a black Bahamian male, the nation is saying maybe you shouldn't go to the United States. This is unprecedented. And so when people ask who are these attorneys, who are these judges, they're Americans. And Americans fear black men. Particularly white Americans But the Mm -hmm. thing about it is We cannot conflate this and just say This is just white people The police officer that shot Philando Castile Not too far from where I live He was not white He was Asian American Well you know In the last week For the first time A police murder Was live streamed not 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 in 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 somebody's living room but on facebook right and that reality is simultaneously astonishing and sickening and 
I want to ask the question to anybody who's willing to answer it, and I didn't give our, our number today, and I'm sure you have some answers. The number is 347-838-9852 if you'd like to get in on discussion uh, discussion with Professor Dr. Miriam Duchess Harris. Uh, the question is, can this system be reformed? If it cannot be reformed, then what? The number is 347-838-9852. Duchess, take a, take a stab at that. Can the system be reformed? You know, that is difficult because we've had this system for almost, well, 400 years. And it was built on white supremacy, and I know people find that to be inflammatory to say, but if you look at the Articles of Confederation from the 1700s, they define citizenship based on whiteness. A lot of people don't even know that. That used to be Civics 101. You can go to law school now and not know that. And so citizenship was about being a free white person. And so to reform that, you either need to abolish the construct of race, which a lot of people can't let go of, um, or open up some opportunities that dismantle how capitalism works, which no one's going to go for that either. So if the if 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 we are facing if, if we're facing this culture of brutality and murder under law and it cannot be fixed and there seems not to be an apparent i mean uh, you know my first thought when i was starting to get a little bit rational uh by Last night, in trying to think about this, one of the things that I thought is that if we had a bold government that wanted to protect, serve, and build, then the first thing that we would do would be to take away the military weapons and weaponry and technology. I mean, exactly. I mean, one of the things that happened with Ferguson is that people didn't even realize that Missouri had tanks. Okay, like, right? And so people turn on their televisions and they say, like, wait, wait a minute. Um, they have tanks? And so then um, the police start tear gassing the crowd. And people don't know how to respond to that. And once, that, once again, that goes back to the kind of knowledge that is common knowledge until someone has to come forward and say, that's against 1996 international human rights law. You can't tear gas citizens. Or pepper spray I mean, them as they did in Atlanta today. Right. But, but I mean, part of it is – with technology, people now are able to see this 
um, because these things have been happening, as we know, forever. But now we can watch them and people can ask the poignant questions in terms of, you know, is this legal? And the problem is is sometimes even when it isn't legal, that doesn't mean that you get justice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Be- be- before, before we go to our phones, I am going to say it, and I'm not going to argue about it, but I do want other people's perspective about it, and that is that bombing a suspect is not acceptable. Now, the question then becomes, should it be, in your, in your opinion, should it be an option? And that's not just for our guests, that's for you who are listening because the Dallas Police Department decided, you know, and, and Duchess, I say this when I'm watching the live video. If it had been possible and we weren't in the Matrix or I was in the Matrix and could shift myself into time into Dallas and had an automatic rifle, I could have shot the legs off of this suspect three times clear shot okay and I'm a trained marksman but the Dallas Police Department decided to send in a robot robot could have had a gun too you know and I know that they were dealing with and but it didn't seem like their assessment didn't happen until after the fact a person who was probably suffering from some kind of mental illness. But they chose instead to send in a bomb and blow him up. Right. And I'm not seeing any of the media or the press questioning whether that's acceptable, even though... All the experts are saying it has never, ever been used. Well, that is because um, there are a few things going on. What the media decided to do was to first apprehend the wrong black man. Uh, How about that? Right, right. So that's the first thing, like the media, the media told the story. It's like we have found him. Um, It was wrong. Okay. Then um, they say, we're sorry about that, but for certain it was a black man. And it was a black man who said that um, he was sick of white people. Now, that's only part of the story. What's fascinating about this is that this is a black man who also said that he was sick of Black Lives Matter. Now, you're not going to find that in mainstream media, but that's actually accurate. Um, and then it was framed as this is the worst um, shooting of, um, you know, officials of a city since 9-11. So that's how this entire thing has been framed, that the black people are now coming after the white people for revenge 
and we are at the moment of a new 9-11. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's go to our phones. 314, you're on the air. Thank you for joining Duchess Harris, uh, co-author of Black Lives Matter on Our Common Ground. Well, how are you this evening? Good, thank you. My name is Pianchi. I'm calling from the St. Louis area. Yeah, make it and make it short, Pianchi. Thank you for joining us once again. Well, you tend to call it's to not the first speeches. time. No, I don't usually call and make speech. I just put some facts out there. Uh, Philadelphia city was a, a black block was born in 1985. So that's not the first time. Uh, no, that was a. Also, are you talking about move? Are you talking, You're about, talking move? about the move? Yes. The move right. bombing was the bombing right. of a house, an which entire building. Ended up creating the bombing of a whole block. Right down of a whole block. Another so thing, you got point, a problem. Bianchi? Make your point. Come well, on. Well, ma'am, look, you have your show back. Okay, yeah, that's right. I tell you, some people just never get it kind of like um I'm I'm not interested in the Republican response to the to to the, what what happened in Dallas. Uh, Miriam, one of the things as we've as we've kind of framed what has has occurred, what do we tell our children? You know, it's difficult. Um, I will say, particularly in a place like Minnesota, which um, you know is easily ninety percent white, um, you have to approach this delicately when you have kids of color. Um, because the majority of their friends are going to be white. I mean, even if you live in North Minneapolis, um, there are plenty of white children in the public schools in North Minneapolis. Um, On the other side of that is the challenge of what do you tell white children? Like how do you have a meaningful conversation about um, white skin privilege would say a sixth grader. It is doable, but this is difficult work. Yeah. I am particularly concerned uh, that the atmosphere post-Dallas is most dangerous for our teens and our men, for black people in general. Yes. Because this culture that has been created within police departments across this country, and we see it, the visceral kind of eminence of it in the police unions. We saw it after Freddie Gray. We saw it uh, after um, uh, Michael Brown. We saw it after John Crawford. We saw it after Tamir Rice. That these people have have knuckles for brains when it comes to understanding the humanity of black people. I mean, so, exactly. 
yeah, I mean, how do we how do we rein in our children? I mean, our children already live under the weight of white supremacy. Their spirits are are dampened and sometimes muted by what we have to tell them about the their existence in this country. How do we keep them vibrant? How do we protect them from the mutation that has to have I mean, I know what I experienced this week. I mean, I was online both for Alton Sterling and when Philando Castile when the when the video surfaced. I mean the small ray of sunshine that I have been able to pull out of this week is that my children are not in school. Mm-hmm. And so with them not being in school and then their limited access to the news, which is intentional on our part, we have been able to manage this in a way that would have been very different if school were in session. Because if school were in session, this would be on the level of, um, you know, meeting in the auditorium and having to have some entire, like, in-school symposium. And the school where Philando Castile worked, I have friends whose children go there, I looked at that school for my children. It is a lovely school. Um, Those families are devastated. And they, they, this just impacts them even though school is not in session. But if my children were in school, even being at different schools, this would have to be addressed and there would have to be so much grief counseling that that is what people don't understand about how our lives are different, that we need to be concerned about our children having grief counseling. Well, it was really clear to me today as the Dallas Police Department, the Dallas mayor, uh, the Dallas police chief talked about grief counseling for members of the Dallas Police Department, but we're not talking about grief counseling for um, (laughs) those persons Exactly. I mean, the first time that really came to my attention was when um, I would call it an occupation of Ferguson. And school was closed for, if I remember, possibly a week or so. Um, And, you know, people weren't leaving their homes. There was just a lot that was going on. And this wasn't when he was shot in August. It was when they announced in November, just around Thanksgiving, that um, Jaron Wilson was not going to be um, acquitted. And so, um, you know, no one even considered the humanity of that community. And that was a moment for me where I said, this unfortunately could be the beginning of a psychological trauma that goes throughout our nation that returns us to where we were in the late 60s. 
And 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 that's so unfortunate because one of the things that we do as a way in which to encourage our children and encourage our communities is to talk about progress um, and to, uh, in the face of deflation. But I see this as a boiling point. Are you seeing this as a boiling point? Oh, I mean, completely. I mean, I'm 47 years old, and there were not moments in the 80s that I felt the kind of terror that I feel that children feel now. And, you know, we had Ronald Reagan putting forth a war on drugs, and, you know, people were going into the cities and decimation was there. But if it was on this level, people did not know the way people know now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the President Obama responded to both of these killings with a statement that included mention of his, uh, his task force on policing. And one of the things that I have, and he said that two years ago he had set up a task force on 21st century policing and convened police officers, community leaders, and activists. So even as officials continue to look into this week's tragic shooting, we also need communities to address the underlying fissures that lead to these incidents. And I am wondering if we have a government which is capable of ending police killings. It's, it, it, you know, it problematically tasks communities with finding solutions to a state-created problem. Exactly, because one of the problems that the state has created is our unemployment. I mean, that, that is a tremendous problem. And so what you have are young black and brown men who are on the street and easily targeted to be profiled because they are on the street. One of the things that disturbed me um, with the Jamar Clark shooting in Minnesota last fall was that when the protests were outside of the 4th Precinct in North Minneapolis, I went over there on a weekday at about 11 o'clock in the morning, partly because I wanted to go when I thought there would be the least amount of people because I know what a conflicted space these places can be. And when I got there, my first thought was, there are too many people here for it to be 11 o'clock in the morning on a weekday. Now, I get to do that because I'm a college professor. I don't have to be in a space between 9 and 5. But it was clear to me that people had been there. They were going to be there for a while. And part of it had to do with because they didn't have anywhere to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but what we have, I think, is... Um, the culminating assertion is that the community's responsibility to implement answers to 
what Obama characterizes as underlying fissures in order to make a difference. While it is true, it's true for reasons not intended by the president, it is always our duty to free ourselves. Our freedom certainly will uh, not be willingly granted by the state. But at some point, the government's response to this crisis, police violence and killing, and convening task force, is not is clearly not working. We look at Rika Boyd, Justice Howell, Ronald Johnson, Freddie Gray, Mike Brown, and the killings have not ended, and there is no accountability for murder un- under cover of law, and we do not have a government who has proposed solutions or who has seen the urgency of the matter in the way in which our community is experiencing it. So what's needed in order for black people to be free from state violence in any capacity, be it slavery, prisons, police, or any other kind of um, mechanism or apparatus in the United States, is a question that is before us. It is not black cops. We can look to Freddie Gray's death. It is not body cameras. Uh, we can see right how because they they mysteriously fall off, Janet. Right, they fall it is off. It's a question of power and who has power, and it's not going to be resolved also by electoral politics. So, in in some ways, we have folks got to challenge our imaginations to picture. Our country that does not require our blood and our death as a part, as an inherent part of its structure. Somehow we've got to do that. Thank you for being with us on Our Common Ground. Our number is 347-838-9852. And we are with Dr. Miriam Duchess Harris talking about Black Lives Matter, our children, and ourselves. We're going to take a break. I'm going to see if I can't fix this uh, technical problems. If you call that number, 347-838-9852, please sure to, and you want to talk with us, please sure to hit the key one. And we'll be right back. No matter what, know your values. No matter what, know you matter. The I Declare Show, home of Real Raw Right Now Talk Media. I Declare Show is where we deal with the difficult, real raw, right now. The I Declare Show, Real Raw Right Now Talk Media. I Declare the I Declare Show, Tuesdays, 9 p.m. I'm Janice Graham, and I declare it's real, raw, and right now, the I Declare Show with India Declare. How do you wake up the entire African-American community to the hidden issue of mental health? It showed up in my life through one of my best friends, and we've been friends for over 30 years. One story at a time. 
If we would have known earlier, you know, we would have been more, much more supportive with her. Once I reached out to my sister, it got a little better. Once I told my mother, it got a little better. The more I talked about it, I felt it coming off. The healing is in me, and the healing in the journey can also be extended to others. It's our community and our mental health. Giving voice to what you're feeling is part of the healing. If you're strong enough to just open your mouth, that's all it takes. And the most revolutionary and healing thing that black people can do right now is to love one another. It's time to share ourselves. Healing starts with us. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Ad Council, and the Stay Strong Foundation. You don't see this coming? You don't see this narrative coming as they force another death fight. As they... The best of political talkback. Common sense. Right from the concrete. Urban, progressive, politics. 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 Friday night at TruthWorks Network, 10 p.m. Alpha drills down deep the lies, the conspiracies in politics. It's just damn politics. The Alpha Show. Listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Tonight, Black Lives Matter, talking to our children and ourselves with Dr. Miriam Duchess Harris, and we're so glad to have her back. Duchess, you haven't been here since 2009. I know. I don't know what happened. What happened? Part of what happened is we transitioned to a weekly show rather than a nightly show, so we only have so many days of the year, and... um, it was really interesting the last time you were here, your book. Um, yeah, my uh, Black Feminist Politics book. It Black, just came out. Yes, right. It, it 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 came out like the week after you were yeah. with us. But we're so glad to have you um, uh, here at Our Common Ground. I mean, we, we really need uh, to have each other's back at this at at this juncture. Uh I have seen in my lifetime and you, and you know that I grew up in the Jim Crow South. And I don't think that even though all the 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 advice and the guidance that I had to get growing up uh attending a, a white high school with 900 white children and myself I don't wow. even think they counted me wow. as a 900. They just said I was 901. 
Oh, it was them and Janice. Yeah, them and Janice. Um, and I, I don't think that, uh, you know, when I was young, we used to travel to Tallahassee, Florida a lot by car. And when we hit Perry, Florida, which was the center of KKK activity in the state, I would actually have to lay down on the back seat, and my father would would plan the trip so that we never went through Perry at night. Yeah, that's real talk. Yeah, that's real talk. Let's go to our phones with uh, Duchess Harris. She is the co-author of Black Lives Matter, and it is a primer for middle schoolers. And it is probably one of the most important books you should have in your library or give its gifts to your children. 925, you're on the air. Thank you for your call. Thanks, Janet. This is Dr. Rashid. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you so so very much, sir, for joining us tonight. Thank you. I'll follow you on Facebook. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Harris, as well. Um, a really sure. quick question because I don't want to um, take up the time, but I, you were talking about mental health and the stress. So allegedly, I said the alleged suspect who is now deceased um, was in the military. And do we even look at him in the way in which maybe he has some stress, maybe he has some, you know, post syndrome, you know, PTSD. all these things they use. Absolutely. All these things they say when it comes to white service right. people who all of a sudden snap, and then all of a sudden they try to paint them unpathologically, like, oh, they were this, and they just went to this, and the gas, right. and so on and so forth. And that conversation, I haven't heard it yet as a possibility. Oh, of course not. And I mean, I, I think that's... Okay. I'm sorry, I was I'm just going to say, I think that's such an important... Um, observation that you were bringing forward and it links right back to us not having humanity we don't have mental health problems like they get to be mentally ill we are just hateful yeah 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 we are demons we are monsters uh it's really interesting because they're doing a lot of discussion uh dr rashid with um uh on um micah Xavier Johnson, and one of the things that they are pushing at this point is that he, although he was honorably discharged from the military, that he had been faced with a charge of sexual harassment. Yes. And that, yes. and uh, and of course, even his lawyer who represented him in that case is questioning why he got an honorable discharge and inferring there was some malfeasance in the military line of command as to how he got an honorable discharge. Now, I want to make it very clear. I'm not buying anything they're saying at this point because uh, I was listening. I want you to stay with me, uh, Rashid, uh, Dr. Rashid, because and, and Miriam, because I was listening very carefully. They were talking about the possibility that it, there were three to four 
snipers <laughs> because the police had been triangulated. Now I went, you know, you know, I Google everything. <laughs> I went and I Google what is a military triangulation operation. It is essentially a V. One person at the bottom and two people at the top on opposite sides. And they were saying that for about 15 minutes. And it was before they misidentified this young brother as a suspect and blasted him across all of the the TV um, TVs across the nation. Mm-hmm. And when they came back, they never talked about the triangulation again. And I will go back to my my earlier statement that on the video that I was seeing, there was a clear shot before this person went into the garage. There was a clear shot. He was behind a a pillar of a building of the garage, the entrance to the garage, the car entrance. Before he went inside, I saw three different shots, video shots, of him being clear to be just taken out by legs. And I am not understanding what happened to the triangulation and where were the Dallas police, when they could have taken him down by shooting him in the knees. You know, I think Dr. Harris says it, and Dr. Tommy um, Curry says it all the time. We're not viewed as humans. So, I mean, that's just as simple as I can put it. Just blow us up. Yeah, just like they're their thing. So it doesn't matter. So Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate. Mm But, um, you know, the the narrative has changed after this incident in Dallas. You know, people are changing their rhetoric, you know, doing a 180, like, oh, we have to do some of our guns, we have to do this, we have to do that. You know, other than that, you know, that happened in Dallas, conversation was like, oh, somebody killed a black man, same old thing, yeah. and just wash it away. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, we want everyone to look for our post because we are going to do a special broadcast just to talk about these events specifically. Uh, I am very interested in more of how they are going to spin these event, the, the event at Dallas. Um, and I'm also interested in see what the aftermath is going to be after the, they funeralize uh, this the, the the police officers and we do extend our deepest sympathy to the families of Alton Sterling and Philandro Castile and the families of the officers who were killed in the line of duty because all of them and 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 Duchess jump in here because I believe that even the Dallas officers who were killed have been victimized by this culture of militarism in our police departments. Oh, I mean, I agree 100%. I mean, when I was talking about how the mainstream media has managed the story, 
There also hasn't been any commentary about how the Dallas chief of police is a black man. No one's talking about that. No one's talking about the fact that there are police officers who are black, and what is the psychological stress on them? Um, When Eric Garner happened, one of the police officers that was there, at least one was black. And so um, I think this is very complicated. I think people want to simplify this and say that these animal-like black people want to kill white people, and there's no analysis of power and no analysis that all the police aren't white. Right. The the, the, the other thing that has rung so true in all of this is the numbers of people who have come out blaming. I mean, we had Rudy Giuliani, who's just a jackass of all kinds, uh, who has who made a statement that said that um, this is clearly an op- the the killing of the police in 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 Dallas was clearly an operation of the Black Liberation Army. I want to know what damn Black Liberation Army, and that Black Lives Matter movement creates the environment. For this, exactly, exactly. To say that Black Lives Matter has created this, and not white supremacist heteropatriarchy has created this, that is profoundly flawed. And I will hold that position until we get equality. Well, absolutely. I tell you, it's winter in America. Go ahead. It's crazy. Yeah, I'll share one more thing, and then I, you don't have, I, I don't. I don't want to ask permission. Just jump right in on there. <laughs> I opened up your mic. Well, thank you so much. Um, you know, I, I work with young people here in the Bay Area, and um, I, I have a particular group, and I work with African American young males. And um, after the Michael Brown incident happened, and the officer wasn't indicted, um, all over the nation, the, you know, all over the nation, the babies were upset. They were, you know. They were demonstrating, so on and so forth. So in the community where I live, I said, hey, you know, and I believe um, Dr. Harris or maybe you, Mr. Graham, mentioned this about the silencing of the babies. They can't even, you know, they can't even have a forum to discuss these types of things. So what I did, I have a good friend, and we had a town hall at his church, but it was a little different in the capacity that the babies were the ones doing the speaking, and I invited, of course, the mayor, the police chief, um, city council members and some community members and everybody wanted to come out. Um, later on, a couple of weeks ago, I saw the mayor at another event. I said, hey, you know, a couple of people from your city council, they were there, but how come the police chief or no one from the you know, law enforcement was there? And I, this is eerie saying this. He said, oh, well, we didn't want to get ambushed. And I was like, wow, you want to get ambushed? We're talking in a church and these babies are crying out before they start tearing the city up. And your police officers didn't want to get ambushed. I mean, of course he was saying this symbol- literally, I mean, symbolically, not figuratively. I mean, literally, it was figuratively. But it was still to use those terms. And I promise you, the very next day, and you know this because you're um, in New York, 
those police officers were ambushed the, the next day, that was Sunday. And I'll say, really, you know, you need, you need to watch your tongue. You need to watch the words that you're using because to prevent these babies from expressing what they feel, it's just ridiculous. And I'm pretty sure this is not the only city where that happens. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I hope that uh, you will also get Dr. Harris's book, Black Lives Matter, to work with young people. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. I think that as adults are, are questioning whether black lives matter, I am questioning whether black lives matter. And I am looking to this government for the evidence that black lives matter. Um, I mean, imagine children who really understand that their parents go to work every day and pay taxes, and that's how police officers who are put on paid leave um, because they gun down and execute a black man might be thinking whether black lives matter. Is this evidence of black lives mattering? Well, I'll, I'll give some evidence um, that leaves me concerned. If we go back to Ferguson, one of the issues with Ferguson was that when Eric Holder was the attorney general, he flies in to St. Louis. He meets with the leadership of Ferguson, and they tell him to his face that they think he's biased because they don't think that as a black man he can do um, his job as the Attorney General. Now, I can't wait to read his new book. Um, I am sure that the limitations of this role are part of the reason why he wanted to step down as Attorney General. Um, and I give President Obama credit. He replaces Holder with Loretta Lynch. Now, it takes longer for Loretta Lynch to get her appointment approved than any other presidential appointee in the history of America. It takes more than five months. And now that she's in the position that Holder's in, I want to know what's that going to look like between now and the next presidential administration. And I don't think that Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch's Black Lives Matter any more than Philando Castile's. Well, I'll ratchet up a notch. I don't think President Barack Obama's life matters to these people. <laughs> I mean, clearly, clearly. Yeah. And I would say that that's partly why so much of this is going on. Absolutely. We're going to go to 646 with Dr. Miriam Duchess Harris. 646, you're on the air. Hello? Yes. Oh, oh, I'll talk, BJ. It's Jay. How are you? Hey, How Jay. is your family? My hey, family. My family is fine. We are worried about our children and how we talk yeah. with them about the new, more vile environment in which they live and how that is going to affect their lives. Well, you know, there's a, there's a flip side. There's a flip side to it. You know, these developments or what's happening in Dallas is showing that there are some people who are absolutely fed up with the way that we are being treated, and they're standing up with the spirit of Nat Turner 
in doing what has to be done. You know. What do you mean by that? Time, you know, the brother, the brother in um, Dallas did what he had to do. He was sick of seeing our people being killed for no reason, seeing how men like John Lewis do nothing but cry for other people and don't cry for us. And he decided he wanted to take matters into his own hands. Now, you got to remember this. In America, it seemed to be bad. But then think about this. They go around the world and do the same thing to everybody else. You know what I mean? The Palestinian people are treated in the same fashion. African people are treated in the same fashion. You know what I mean? So the reality is there's a contradiction. You can't ask me not to be violent towards you, but you violent towards me and everybody else around the world. These people that but, but sir, re- re- respectfully, I submit that there is a difference between self-defense and proactively being antagonistic. So I, I think what the man did in Dallas was unconscionable and egregious. How could it be egregious when the people in this country do it all around the world to other people? Come on. But Jay, you have to get real about it. Let's get real about it. This was, a man, this was a man whose intent, purpose, and focus was not about being Nat Turner. No, no, no. It was, a, it was the same action, if you look at it, that Nat Turner did. Because he got sick and tired of our people being brutalized and enslaved. Nat Turner was purposeful. Nat Turner was purposeful and focused. This man was mentally ill to take on the entire Dallas Police Department. No, 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 no. Listen, BJ, you see, this is where we don't understand the psychology of people who are being brutalized. Okay, this is not where we don't understand. This is difference? where we disagree. But, but BJ, where is the difference? He he did something that, if you look at it, he didn't kill no other civilians. See, you got to put everything in its box. He only killed police officers. He attacked the group of police officers. What he didn't he did was not I, I have to agree with I have to agree with um, BJ. I think this is a um, place where we disagree. Um, Nat Turner was enslaved and was escaping slavery, and um, was going to be killed by people that were trying to recapture him. I, I think this is a very different scenario. I mean, this is not even a scenario of self-defense. Yeah. This is I, I intentional. Think Jay, what, yeah, I think what Jay is talking about, I'm Jay, saying. what you're trying to get to it has not happened. And what you're trying to get to is a group of militarily trained black people who might at some point Unplug from the matrix and decide to take on the police department. Not, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. You, you, you. This miss, was not a revolutionary up. act. No, this no, no. Was a man BJ. Who was delusional. BJ, it was a revolutionary act. You know why it was a revolutionary act? Because he did what he had to do 
and he made the decision on his own, and he did not kill no civilians. Well, See, this is the thing we we don't want to we don't want to look at the. I, I don't want to get into that. What I was really trying to say is this: we have to recognize that we, as African people here in America, are enslaved. You understand what I'm saying? And the reason why we're in enslaved is because we are not collectively in a position to take care of ourselves if the white man says we no longer want you or need your behind. And they're at that point. So now if white people say to us, we're no longer going to hire you, we're no longer going to educate you, we're no longer going to give you access to anything in this country, what are we going to do? And on top of that, what, what, what's your answer you to, to your own it? question? What's Organized. your answer to, what's your answer to your own question? My own, my own, my own question. My own answer is to first realize it, then to organize small groups that will be able to sustain themselves until we can weather the storm and move forward. But see, the reality is we don't look at it that way because we never deep down look at it and see and understand that white people control every facet of our lives, but we think we control our lives. But we don't because remember, and I'll end with this, if they say to us, we are no longer going to use you in employment, we're no longer going to house you, feed you, or do anything, where do we go? How do we sustain ourselves? Are we in a position to do anything? Can we employ ourselves, feed ourselves, shelter ourselves, defend ourselves? See, we don't want to look at that because that's too much of a reality. Well, what you're suggesting is that our history and our present doesn't contain self-sustenance and sustaining communities. And one of the things that I think that you're missing here and you're neglecting to consider is that we have always been a self-determining people. And what has happened is that we underestimate, undervalue, and marginalize that strength uh, that we have as a community. Jay, thanks a lot. You know, I always. I love you. I love you too back. See, this is one of the problems, Miriam, is that we we are we become desperate and reactionary. And one of the things that we talk about on this program uh, consistently is that we have to be about the business of building strong structures where we eat where we sleep, and where we educate our children, that we have to become a, a people that is that does not lodge itself into the capitalist system in this country, but plants ourselves into a con, an economy which is appropriate to build our community. We're, we're huge ca- uh, uh, consumers. We do a very good job at at ensuring that our children uh, 
are educated where we can and where the mecha, where the infrastructure is there for us. So people become reactive. They become, I mean, I understand Jay's rage. I understand how there are so many people out there in response to what has happened over the last four years in this country under law, crimes against black people under law. I understand that. But at the same time, we've got to stay focused. We've got to know, you all ready for it, what our end game is. Exactly, exactly. And, I mean, for instance, um, right now in the Twin Cities, um, people have taken to the streets and our primary interstate, which is 94, has been shut down. That's going on right now as we speak. Um, In the middle of the night, this is what people have chosen to do. Um, They are demanding justice for Philando Castile. Um, That is their constitutional right, and that I can completely support. Um, I do not think that we need to become the oppressor and that we should take up arms and shoot the police. I th- I think that's horrifying. Mhm. Because it 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 buys into a system of terrorism that gains us nothing. I mean exactly, and not only does it not gain us anything, um what happened to the man in Dallas who did that? Yes. They and got so more guns. <laughs> they got more guns. The they got they got bombs with robots. Yes. And that's just the beginning. Mhm. Uh I, so I, just, I I don't think that's our solution. Yeah. In regard to your book, Black Lives Matter for middle schoolers, one of the most horrifying parts of what has happened over the last week for me was that this woman, Diamond Reynolds, who was a girlfriend of Philandro uh, Castile, as she was broadcasting live over Facebook, most people say, well, she was so calm. Mm -hmm. But essentially... She had stepped out of her mind in order to survive. Yes, I I mean, mean, this is just a response to trauma. See, the people respond to that as calm because they don't know what trauma looks like. Yes. And that there was a small child, her six-year-old child, or four-year-old child, I wasn't sure. There have been two reports on four. Uh, was in the back seat of the car, and the child was so traumatized that she was trying to take care of the her mother. The child yeah. never cried, the child never screamed, the child did nothing but be in a state of of of, of being stunned by what was happening. And then there was the police officer 
who reacted in the way that he essentially had been trained and his mind had been trained to respond to a black man. And then he was traumatized. I mean, he was barely holding on. I was so afraid as I was watching the video. Excuse me. I was so afraid that he was going to shoot more, that he was just going to start shooting. Right. And that was prior to Castile um, falling over in the in the seat. So one of the things I want to talk about tonight to you is the idea of we have got to get rid, rid of the boogeyman on the issue of mental health. Yes. I, I, I noticed over the last 48 hours, instead of being in intensive treatment and being uh, cared for, that the girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds, was still making statements after right. she was released from jail. They took her to jail with her child. For five hours. Let's be clear about that. You know, not yes. for a minute, for five hours. And how do we explain this to our children? Our number is 347-838-9852. Are you calling someone on? No. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I was, I was, I was pausing after you, after you gave the number because um, I wanted to make sure um, if there, if there was, was a caller coming. I was also trying to catch my breath from having to, to sure, sure. To you know, I mean, I think the problem, I, I think the problem is cyclical. Um, we do not have enough black people who are trained as psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, as black people, we are afraid to go to white psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, and unfortunately, often if we get beyond our fear or we're forced to go to a psychologist or psychiatrist um, who is not black, um, it can reinforce the trauma. Yeah, because so many people don't understand our culture. Mhm, mhm. And we and earlier you were talking about black policemen, and I have read reports and I have talked to. I, I happen to be working with a group of black police officers who are tasked with um, gang intervention in the city of Boston, and I've been working intensely with them about. Uh, doing programming around children who are in families of gangs and single mothers who are involved with gang members and have children with them. Uh, I've learned so much from these guys, and I'm sure some of them are listening tonight. And, And I'm wondering if... We have done enough. Uh, I put in a call to Terry Williams on yesterday, and I'm sure she's very busy with all of this 
at the Terry Williams Agency because she is the founder of the Stay Strong Foundation, wondering what the foundation can do relative to uh, black police officers and victims of community activists, for instance, who are also victimized by this. You're working on a problem. You're intently recruiting people and talking to black parents and and black members of the community, and then this happens, and what do you say? Um, So I'm, I'm not sure if there is enough focused attention in our communities around mental health and then when you think about disparities in 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 medical services in our communities and then you think about the lack of uh targeted social work in our communities having to do with racism and white supremacy you know you kind of think well is there anything that is working there Um, I know. This is all so so heavy. (laughs) The weight of it. uh, I'm thinking to myself. Yeah. I know. know. I I have to tell you a story. I was talking to uh, Ruby Sales yesterday, and we want to wish her a happy birthday again. Yes. Uh, And I I kept saying to her over a a three hour period we were on the phone I kept saying to her Ruby I called about your birthday I didn't call about this and then we talked some more and I said Ruby I called about we're not going to talk about this I call about about your birthday and uh, the other personal thing is my very best and long friend has done work uh, in the Congo with men coming out of the military and the war in the Congo, and and so uh, I she left to go back to Burundi on um, last Wednesday, and when and and I rely so much on care from her as we face these things, and so you know I've been kind of like lost, but. <laughs> But it, these things are so heavy, and I want people out there to know that, one, we recognize, I want to acknowledge for you how heavy this is because it has become so clear that the people who could do something are not going to do anything, that they're going to look for the exit doors on the real problem, the problem of uh, brutality in policing, murder in policing, and over-policing of black people in this country. And I also want you to know that we can be safe in the village, but we have to make sure that the village is strong. Do not let people talk bullshit to you about these issues. Yeah, I mean, I think that when people ask, um, you know, the strategy for what we do with our children, 
partly is what are we doing with our children in between these strategies? Are we filling them up with a sense of pride and value and love? I mean, we just need to proactively raise our children and not um, reactively respond to what's going on in the nation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as a people, to, we've had to do agree. that for hundreds of years. Yes. We have. And I just think that um, sometimes folks lose sight of that. Like I find, um, you know, white people sometimes kind of want to be voyeuristic and say, oh, my goodness, what's it like? Like what do you say to your children? And I think to myself, um, you know, my children know more black history than most adults do. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, 99% of what I say to my children. Yes. Yes. And I really My, do think that that helps with the, the mental health issues also is a point of departure of self-esteem. Yep. You're absolutely right. My mother was really interesting uh, in the 70s when, by the time she got over my afro. Uh, <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But she was a history major at Wilberforce University. It was Wilberforce College at the time. And she said to me one day, we were talking about getting black history into colleges. Um, It it was in the late 60s. And I had been home for the summer, and I had organized with another friend a black history program for young people. In, in my community, and and she said to me, she said, they gave me a history major, but it was really black history, but they couldn't afford to call it that. And I found that okay. so interesting. <laughs> Our number okay. is 347-838-9852, and we are so pleased to have Dr. Miriam Harris, Duchess, we call her, uh, the co-author of Black Lives Matter, and we are talking about talking to our children and ourselves about Black Lives Matter. We're going to go to our phones again, 773. You're on the air. Thank you for your call. Well, good evening, Janice, and good evening, Dr. Harris. Hello. Hey, Alpho. Good to hear from you. I want to say. You had one hell of a show last night. Thank you very much. Thank you. Alpho is the host of the Alpho Show at TruthWorks Network. Oh, yeah. I want to say this. Um, Janice, you know how I am. And after a while and after so many events, I go straight ballistic about Bob Barrett. The five dead officers, I won't, that's, that's not going to be the end of it. I posted a couple of uh, questions. Is it time to shoot first and shoot back? This is a wake-up call. They have a firewall. We can do all the organizing, all the marching, all of, all of that. Their firewall are the prosecutors and the judges who set the laws. We do not engage in the political process. We do not engage in the ballot box. So, therefore, we will never be able to overturn their control of the judges, 
and the prosecutor. So what you're going to find, just like this uh, young man in Dallas, he had enough. He had enough. You have shootings in Tennessee and Missouri and I believe in Kentucky where officers were either shot or shot at. And it's going to continue. And it's going to get even more pervasive as far as shooting at officers. Shooting back, shoot first and shoot back. Because what we are witnessing on camera, on film, is murder. And nobody can be uh, held accountable. There are no you know, consequences. So this isn't the first thing. This isn't the last thing. It may be the only thing. You have white, older politicians coming out, talking. You even had the, what was it, the Washington Post? Not the, was it the Washington or New York Post? Talking about uh, civil war. That was the big head. That was in big eight, nine, ten-inch letters on their front page. You have uh, Rudy Giuliani. You have... The, the lieutenant governor of Texas. Everybody wants to blame Black Lives Matters and Obama for just standing up. Black Lives Matter simply stands up. And whether we like it or not, that is the, um, the, the carrier of this fight as we move forward. Because these are the millennials, and this will be with them. These young people aren't going to stand for this. They're not going to take it. This young man was 25 years old. And, oh, by the way, this robot went around the corner and blew this man up. They should, sue, they should be suing Texas for wrongful death. His, his family should be suing Texas for wrongful death. He did not get a trial. He had no legal counsel. But you figured you would execute it. Well, you know, even yeah. in the old days, Alpha, I'm glad you brought that up. Even in the old days, they go find the mama, the sister, the somebody to talk to a person who's not being rational about, you know, and they're going to say it's interesting that they have no video. With all the technology that they have, they have no video, no audio of the negotiations. And it went on where long. they are saying, you know, and, and, and they really screwed up because they said he was against Black Lives Matter movement. He was mad at the Black Lives Matter movement. That contradicts what else they said he said. Yeah, well, he was mad at all white folks. And, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a one vicious circle. And their, and their firewall are the judges and the prosecutors. You have to jump on top of Alpha, Miriam, because, Duchess, because he'll keep talking. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I want to hear what you have to say. I mean, I don't know what to do with um, putting together, initiating this and defending oneself. I think these are two different things. So, I mean, I'd like to know what you think about that, Alpha. They, putting an initiative together and defending yourself will be molded into one. Because the, what happened when the Black Panthers showed up with rifles? What did they do? Here in Illinois, they are denying 
black people who are applying for concealed carry. They're not giving them an excuse. They're denying it, and they're in the course because there's been so many black people have been denied. They've basically molded it into a class action of discrimination. Right, but I don't remember any Black Panthers um, well, shoot, shooting in, you know, well, shooting white police. No, no, no. I mean, all the the Black Panthers had to do was show up with rifles. And Ronald Reagan and the NRA and the Congress, and they all got together and they passed another law. They didn't have to shoot a soul, but they knew knew that they would. Am am I wrong about what happened when they showed up with rifles? But see, there are things that we have not done. We have been negligent about in communities in communities like Ferguson and St. Louis and Baltimore. We continue to follow the plan of the establishment of this system rather than challenging the establishment and the system in every place, Sanford, Florida where Trayvon Martin was 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 executed by a by a, 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 a white supremacist. The the mayor and the city council and everybody would have to should have to go. In this city, in this city, this mayor, Marty Walsh, in Boston. If he is not having a meeting with the citizens policing commission this week, he should have to go. We should be calling for his for his impeachment, his resignation, or whatever he wants to do. In Dallas, what is going to happen with this mayor and his police department? Nothing. Nothing. This is what I'm trying to 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 disseminate for you. These people, you know, when you hear from the right, when you hear people say, we demand this or we demand that, people on the left listen. When we when we demand something on the progressive left, they don't listen. They don't care. Just like Scott Walker in Wisconsin. They wanted to recall. They didn't care. Just like the, 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 the governor in Michigan. Just like the governor we have right now. He's holding the state hostage and scorch the earth. What I am simply saying to you is they have the part they have the three tiered system set in place. This is um, this is a heavy lift and almost an impossible lift. And it'll continue to be so. That's why you will find that there will be millennials, young people, twenty five year olds, who will take matters into their own hands. To bring light, this these five, this shooting in Dallas, that's got a, that, that that raised the subject, that that raised the consciousness of white folks. I'm not advocating any kind of shoot and kill police and and all of that. What I am saying to you is simply this: these young people are sick and tired of this, and they are going to do something about it. Just like in New York, where the guy walked, this one guy walked up to the squad car and emptied the gun into the squad car. It's going to happen again and again and again. 
until they come to some type of compromise that says when you are a cop, you have to pay for your crimes. And these are crimes. They they pull you out of the car without probable cause. They pull you over. Now there's a question of whether or not the taillight was even broken. There are pictures of the car without a broken taillight. Now, Actually, actually, Care 11 News um, in the Twin Cities got the audio tape when the officers called it in and said that they were calling, um, that they were pulling them over for suspicion of robbery. So they actually used the taillight as an excuse. With with a wide nose. Uh, This guy has a wide nose. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. These people have a, a... they have a safety shield. Probable cause does not exist. Uh, reasonable doubt does not exist. The benefit of the doubt does not exist. And that's why you're going to see these retaliatory shootings all over the place. Now, the deal is, what are they going to do when it gets more inner city and jungle-like, where you have police officers sitting in squad cars and two or three people just coming in and dumping bullets into the car and escaping, and then there's this big man hunting. People will get their rights violated all throughout the neighborhood. This is what we are in store for. So, but with your seat belts, fasten it down, get your popcorn pop, because here we go. Thanks a lot, Janice, and thank you all for listening. <laughs> Thank you, Alpha. Alpha can be heard on Friday nights at our sister station, TruthWorks Network, here at Blog Talk Radio. Um, you know, tragically, Miriam, I think that in many ways, Alpha is right. And okay, I think elaborate. a lot of people. Pardon me? I said, I said, elaborate. I think that there are people who are going to believe, who do believe, that there are no other answers other than to respond aggressively and forcefully outside of the system that as we that we have been familiar with. You know, uh, my good friend Yvette Carnell, she's cracked cracked me up today. She was asking if um, Minister Farrakhan was in his Hyde Park house setting up the war room. Um, I had uh, a colleague uh, say to me on Thursday morning, asking me whether we were headed to a race war. Well, we right. see how that we see how that worked out. We're going to go back to our phones two o five. You're on the air with Duchess Harris. Hi there, Miss Harris. How are you doing? Hi. Hi, Miss. Hi. Yeah, the uh, gentleman that was just talking. I was listening to him. He's probably more right than I would like to even think about. You know, our biggest. One of our biggest problems has been this thing with job issues, and we, our the country, belongs to our young people, 
And the way that I look at it is that if they wanted to solve this problem about unemployment, it would be a very simple thing. But they don't, when I say they, I just mean the powers uh, behind the scenes who really run government. Uh, They don't want this. I would like to remind you or ask you if you remember that within the last 10 years, uh, somewhere back around 10 years ago, they were just burning black churches left and right. And they could not, they never had a single person, I think there was like 120 plus black churches that got burned to the ground. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. They never found anyone that did that. And I believe from what I've learned to date that there's elements in our government that all it's on our currency, order out of chaos, and they have an agenda that is far different from the average person, um, or maybe even not so average person, but I'm just telling you that they're very different and they have a whole different agenda for this country than what we might like to um, even think about or consider. I will tell you this, that I had a argument with my brother in his office one day, and wrong place to have an argument. But one thing he said was, he pointed his finger in my face and he said, you don't know what you're talking about. So... I actually went home and thought about what he had said. So I began reading and just poking around trying to find out questions, answers to questions that I just would raise up, you know. After about two years, I was sitting at my desk about 3 o'clock in the morning reading, and um, all of a sudden I just felt ill, and I ran out of the house. I ran out in the yard. Uh, uh, I was just hot, you know, my body was hot, and I leaned over and I put my hands on my knees, and I thought I was going to be sick when I realized how truly ignorant I was about the way things work in this world. And so I think that we, first of all, we need to be not just educated, we need to be re-educated because we have a lot of false history that we've been taught and we adhere to stuff that it's just it's just truly wrong and so we end up being guided around uh in just a lot of directions that we really shouldn't go. I don't know how you feel about what I'm saying, but I you know, I'm throwing this out here to you to see what you think, you know. Well, I mean well, I've dedicated the last twenty years of my life of trying to re educate people. So, I mean, I agree with you that, like, what we don't know is staggering. It is staggering. And that is, is because, that is because, as as you've indicated, 205, that the powers to be also control information. They control publications. They control... Uh, textbooks, they control our universities and colleges, and it is not incidental, accidental. It is focused and targeted. I, 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 I give you the example how the state of Texas has removed 
the the historical review and understanding of slavery in America from their high school. Oh, yeah, so that it was voluntary migration. Yes. And here is the other side of it. With compensation, no less. The other side of it is that we did nothing. Well, I mean, that and actually is not true because I, I, the the books got removed. Oh, they were removed. I didn't. They I didn't removed, realize that. But but you know what it took was the power of a black mother, and so this um, high school girl went home and showed it to her mother and said, "What is this?" And then there was this big movement, and of course the company lost you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, because they were removed. Now, the issue is how long were they in the schools and what impact did that narrative have? And did um, conservatives just say, um, oh, you know, this is just people being politically correct? Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 205, we want to thank you for your call and hope that you join us every Saturday night. And this would be a good time for me to let all of you know that we will be on the air tomorrow night at 10 p.m. to talk about these events and to organize and to specifically address what you must do in your communities about ensuring that black lives matter. Um, I'd like to thank you for letting me uh, participate. Good night. Good night, and thank you. Um, it's just, Miriam, it's just so big, you know, and I have been resisting and resisting uh, getting back into the fray on a, on a, on a daily basis for, for a number of years now. But we have lost many of the information programming for black people in this country it's a lot of talking, 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 and not any no organizing getting done. And we've got to get back to that. And we're going to hopefully tomorrow night have a couple of people uh, out of Baton Rouge to talk to us about what is happening in Baton Rouge politically in the community to address the execution of Alton Sterling. We also are going to talk about the political education that our community needs in order to be able to organize outside of the mechanism that has been created. Because, you know, everybody, the powers to be are creating our narratives. They are also creating the framework in which we address these things. I am so glad to have had you, Miriam, Duchess Harris. I, I can't believe it took so many years for me to get back on here. That better not you know, happen we, again. I know. I, I just, you know, I, I, by the time that, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I, look, I looked at it yesterday and I said, my goodness, she hasn't been with us since 2009. This is crazy uh, with all well, that, that you do. And, you know, well, you're it's, my it's sorrow sister, so... Uh, you know, my bad, <laughs> my real bad. And you're so Look, calm and 
and and and you've thought through these issues in a very careful and formed way uh and you're so brilliant on top of all of that <laughs> girl back at you back at you well tomorrow night we're going to be talking about whether or not in many ways uh as the last caller might have implied that there has been a if if I'm wondering if this police state in which we live now has been under construction and um the militarization of the so-called protect and serve operation uh has been well thought out as well Miriam Duchess Harris McAllister College has a jewel and we thank you so very much and uh we are going to invite you to come back because we're going to be doing I'm going to be co-hosting with Dr. James Taylor a week of uh political science education okay Poli Sci 101 at our common ground. Thank you so very much. And for those thank of you, you who have joined us tonight, we thank you so very much. We do apologize that we had had, had uh, organized some very good uh, audio for us, and we hope that it will be available to us tomorrow night at 10 p.m. Uh, we will have Alpha back with us and India Declare and Ruby Sales, James Taylor, uh, Pascal Robert, Yvette Cornell, and Dr. Tommy J. Curry. So we hope that you will join us. Check our Facebook page. Uh, We will do what we always do in letting you know. This has been Our Common Ground, and you can find us at Twitter, at Janice OCG, hashtag Talk That Matters, our Facebook page, OCG Talk, and our website, OurCommonGround.com. We do publish weekly uh, Scribbling Race on Common Ground, uh, and you can find it. It comes through our Facebook page and as well on our website at OurCommonGround.com. And do join India Declare. She's going to be back on the I Declare show this Tuesday night at 9 p.m., but she'll be with us tomorrow night uh, while we talk about these events as we gather more information and misinformation and disinformation and bad information. I'm Janice Graham, and we thank you so very much for being with us. Hope we'll see you tomorrow night at 10 p.m. You want to go back? Then go. I ain't ready to give up yet. My plan works. Funny thing about plans, they always changing. <laughs> Do whatever it takes to get her free. Thank you so much for joining us on Our Common Ground tonight. We'll be right here next Saturday night, 10 p.m., with our friend, the respectable Negro, Chauncey DeVega. We hope you'll join us. And don't forget, subscribe to us on Facebook. Follow us at Janice OCG on Twitter. Like us all over the place. I'm Janice Grant, and I'll be listening for you.
daddy, what that there? And why that under there? And oh, daddy, oh, hey, daddy, hey, look it over there. Hey, what they doing there? And where are they going there? And daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? Hey, who that in my chair? And what she doing there? And oh, daddy, oh, hey, daddy, can I go over there? Hey, daddy, what's a square? And where do we get air? And daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? My quiz is so cheap, and he doesn't want anything here. He's forever demanding to know who, what, and why, and where. Inquisitive child, and sometimes the questions get wild. Like, daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? Don't wanna comb my hair and wear my teddy bear. And oh, daddy, oh, hey, look at the cowboy coming there. Hey, can I have a pair of boots like that to wear? And daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? The time will march the years will go. Fellas, gonna grow, I gotta tell him what he needs to know Help him along so he'll know right from wrong, gotta make him strong As life parade goes trudging by, you need to know some reasons why I don't have all the answers, but I'll try best that I can Gonna help him to plan so he'll be a man you give a kid your best, and you hope he'll pass the test when you finally send him out into the world somewhere. But though he's grown, I'm betting I never will forget. And Daddy, can I have a big elephant over there? Hey, what they doing there? And how you work that there? And oh, Daddy, oh, he, Daddy, he, what that say up there? Hey, Daddy, what is fair? How come I got a share? And Daddy, can I have a big elephant over there? 